from WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. We're taking a break this week from our COVID education series to take a look at an issue that truly hits home for a lot of folks living in upstate New York. In Sullivan County, it affects one in 10 adults and almost one in five children. I'd ask you to guess what it is, but the episode's title is probably a bit of a dead giveaway, so I'll cut to the chase. It's food insecurity. According to the Mid-Hudson Region Community Health Assessment, 18.5% of kids in Sullivan County aren't getting access to the nutrition they need to live a long, healthy life. To quote the health assessment, children who face hunger are more likely to struggle in school, face developmental impairments, and have more social and behavioral problems than children who do not face hunger. This is serious stuff, and that data is from 2017. It probably won't surprise you to learn that this problem hasn't gotten better particularly in the last year. With businesses closing or cutting staff during the pandemic, there were more families struggling to make ends meet and more adults and kids alike going to bed hungry. I wanted to put a spotlight on this issue early on because in 2021, in arguably the most developed country in the world, I think we can all agree that this is unacceptable. Today, I want to tackle this issue from the ground up, And maybe that starts with the phrase, food insecurity. It kind of sanitizes the condition in my head. You know, so when we say food insecure, it sounds a lot nicer than kids being hungry. That's Martin Colavito, the Community Cupboard Program Coordinator with the Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension. I kind of get a a chill in my spine because I've been in the human service game for, for 40 plus years. And whenever these, these, these taglines come out, and I understand why they come out. Um, they actually broaden the disconnect with the people who need the most. Marty is somewhat of a local legend in the Catskills. He's dedicated most of his life to helping people who are in some of the most difficult situations, particularly in the context of the opioid epidemic. Last spring, though, when COVID kept folks from leaving their homes, he and a small team started a program to deliver fresh food to people in need throughout the area. And and to set the record straight, You know, they were hungry before COVID, you know what I mean? It wasn't like COVID just allowed us the opportunity uh, to gauge into people's hearts and minds where they became more conscious of this. At any given time, we're going to have, you know, 120 bags of food on the truck. We're going to have eggs on the truck. We're going to have produce on the truck. We're going to have, you know, uh, 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 things that we get from a collaboration with the county every week with the food bank that we pick up. So, you know, usually it takes an hour or two to even prep the truck and then we're off. So then what we do is is we're on a mission. You know, we uh, we have a dedicated route that's that we add and subtract to every single week. Um, And on any given day, we'll have, you know, 50 or 60 stops. We go out Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday is an abbreviated delivery day because we do a lot more prep work on on Wednesdays. Um, We do have some deliveries. And we also try to uh, address like some of the boarding houses and stuff like that in the community. And on Thursday, we have another big delivery day. And on Friday, we don't deliver. 
because we were able to consolidate. We have anywhere from, at any given time, 130 to 150 stops from Narrowburg, Narrowsburg to Wurtsboro, and serving anywhere from 250 to 400 people a week. So, so it, it is a hustle. As you mentioned, COVID didn't cause people to start going hungry uh, who, who needed support. What were the resources that people were, were utilizing before in order to, you know, get food and put food on the table for their families that, you know, that disappeared and, and why? So people had access. So number one, there was access. There was access to food banks, um, access to, you know, and now again, bearing in mind that a lot of the people we delivered to, a significant amount of the people we delivered to before COVID did not have access to food banks. So what they would normally do with their with their uh, uh, food stamps or with or their, their county assistance is if one person had a car, let's say in Wurtsboro, you know, there's not a lot of supermarkets around there. And the, the one soap supermarket, which is a great supermarket, I don't know the name, uh, but um, it is it is a, uh, a little bit more expensive than a ShopRite or a Walmart. And they were lucky to have that supermarket four or five miles away, be able to kind of jump in cars together if a car didn't break down you know, to get a uh, uh, food. More times than not, they wouldn't have transportation. So now they're walking three or four miles to a corner store. And whereas their county assistance would have lasted them maybe a couple of weeks in the past, now it's lasting them, you know, a week tops because of the prices. So when you say to me, what resources did they have? You know, a lot of people, you know, the resources they had were if a neighbor threw out stuff and you know, they go to their garbage can, pick it up. You know, a lot of people, you know, we're delivering to several people in, in, in Wurtsboro. Two of the people live in one household. Uh, one has stage four cancer. The other one's just diagnosed with cancer. You know, and these these folks at best were eating horribly, you know, before they had opportunity. And then COVID hits. So now with little access they have, they're told, don't go out. You know, if I if, if I'm if I'm undergoing chemotherapy, am I going to get into a car and go into the general public during times of COVID? You know what I mean, and on and on and on. So so, and even the guy who's going through chemotherapy still has to find odd jobs to make fifteen dollars a t- while he's ready to keel over. You know, th- this th- that's the reality of people who live in hopelessness. You know, in a nutshell, you know that that is the absolute reality. Is is to kind of. Uh, make something with nothing. You know, I, I, I was talking to some folks last night and I've said this over and over and over in all of our lives, you know, and I've been privileged. You know, I'm a white guy who's 63 years old. All I know is privilege. You know what I mean? It's, you know, people talk about, oh, privilege and they, they get a little bit. But I mean, when you stop and think, even in pain, I was privileged in my life. Even in pain, you, you, you know, I'm privileged. But every one of us has a dark period in our lives where we feel lost and we feel like there's just no hope. And, and when that has happened to me, I had incredible resources and still felt that way. You know, what about the folks who feel that way without these resources? You know, and there is some dynamite agencies, you know, community mental health agencies, you know, substance use disorder agencies, you know, healthcare agencies in the county. But again, if you don't have hope in the room, why bother utilizing it? If you look at it from a purely systemic perspective, if you look at a system, Counties that are normally impoverished, like Sullivan, even though the Bronx might have, you know, a, a worse health indicator than we do, they have a lot more access than we do. So hope is always there. So when you look at a county like Sullivan, we're always chasing, you know, the, the, 
the tail is wagging the dog. We're chasing, you know, whatever resource we can get to put a hole in the dike. And the more we chase, the further we become distant from the, the, the actual condition. And we just want to sustain rather than improve. And again, I don't think it's intentional. I don't think people get in a room and say, hey, let's just, you know, I do think that's just a natural byproduct from an incredibly flawed system. And if you look at anything, Leif, if you had a house, you bought a house and you found out you had a leak in your roof and that's the weakest part of your house, you are going to put your resources into, into, into stopping that leak so the rest of your house doesn't get destroyed. Our system doesn't look at impoverished counties like that. Our system doesn't look in under-resourced counties like that. They say, you, you know, and again, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. The Office of Alcohol and Substance Use Services will say, well, you don't have enough billable units of services. So we're not going to give you enough funding to move forward. But if you don't have the funding, how do you go out and access people? You know, the quote need is not there when in fact it's there even more. The powers that be take our strong human servants and the people that want to fight a good fight and make them preoccupied with just addressing the basic needs. And it's an incredibly frustrating situation because what's, again, when we, I'll go back to the whole uh, of food insecurity, you know, the more the folks who are further away from the situation are, you know, the less they're going to experience that pain. And the last thing I want to tell you is that because of a lack of respect of individual community culture, we broad stroke everything, you know, our state government, our federal government, we broad stroke. So what works in Peoria or in Illinois should work in Sullivan County. What works in, you know, the Bronx should work in Sullivan County. When in fact, um, there's not a lot, a lot of homework done. And I will say last thing, uh, one of uh, Cuomo's guys had come down uh, to Sullivan County. No, it was the Rockefeller Institute. And they were talking about, you know, what can the state do to help us? And this was a couple of years ago. And my response was go to embed somebody here for six months. All right. Rather than just come in and say, hey, we need this. And then again, plug that hole. All right. Embed somebody here so they can really see what we need. So they can feel what we need. So they can touch the human being who needs. You spent a while working um, in, in Orange County as well. And yep. even between Orange County and Sullivan County, which which you know, are right next to each other. Did you find that there were serious differences in what kind of resources were needed, how the resources need to be implemented and, and whatnot, even just between those two neighboring counties? You know, I said to Lynn, my, the woman who decided to, you know, uh, ruin her life and live with me for the past 40 years almost, um, I always said to her, I can't reconcile how one line, how one boundary line can separate access and no access. And the access to services in uh, Orange County is much greater than in Sullivan County, you know? And so, yeah, it was a lot easier to navigate people to service in Orange County. You know, when we were organizing in Newburgh, you know, it, it wasn't uncommon for the director of one of the directors of mental health to be walking with us. And, and I remember like it was yesterday, a person who, who, who had given up and said they had wanted to, to hurt themselves. And the director was there immediately to walk that person to service, you know, people who are, you know, there's more housing uh, uh, available for, for people who are living in 
emergency situations, you know. So on a re-HG, we're able to en- engage people immediately and give them a roof over their head. You know, it might not be the Ritz, but it ain't cold. Um, and uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, it was incredible. And even in the Bronx, you know, I organized in the Bronx for years. I organized in Appalachia. Well, I worked in Appalachia. That's where I met Lynn um, in 1980 or 1979. And Sullivan County, That you know, when I go to Wordsboro, it puts me in mind of Appalachia in 1979 um you know the incredible amount of resources that are just distinguished by one borderline i've had people tell me who live literally on the border of orange county you know when i worked in orange county saying we can't get this in sullivan please and and then you know you're you're saying but you're ah, you're 400 feet in sullivan can't you know I, we can't do that. I can't reconcile that. I can't, I can't hug the people I love. I can't kiss my grandchildren. I can't, I can't do that and have that in the back of my mind. Um, so, so why is that? I mean, I suspect there are a, a myriad of different angles that you could come at that question from, but you know, as, as someone who, Myself was was born and raised in Sullivan County, and, and lived in Sullivan County for almost my entire life. Um, you know, it, it's frustrating to to see that. Um, again, as someone who um, was lucky enough to have a whole a whole bucket of privilege growing up, you know, I didn't have to experience it like a lot of other folks did in Sullivan County. But you know, they were my neighbors and my friends in school and whatnot. And it's frustrating to be from a a place where you, you look to your left and your right and everyone else in, you know, across those border lines seems to have more and -hmm. seems to have more access. So, you know, what in your mind is is one of the greatest causes of that borderline going into Sullivan County, suddenly you're a lot less lucky again, very, I'll give you a very basic answer. It's, it's, it's a lack of systems perspective. It's like, you know, if you look at any system, that's a closed system, you know, it, there is no synergy. It eats itself. Boom. Sullivan County, you know, and again, that's in spite of the incredible amount of hard, I mean, look at our local police department. So under-resourced, you know, it's incredible. And, and I'm not making political statements here. That's a fact. So if you start a system with less resources, right? And now that system is, you know, affects the bigger systems, you know, you know, and then you have a super system that's the biggest system in the county that's all affected by these flawed systems. And and rather than and everybody talks about, oh, we got to go from a systems perspective, but they don't. They don't investigate the, 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 you know, I'm not sure people include human beings in the inputs that fuel systems. I, I, you know, I, I think, I think what happens is from a very basic perspective, it's, it's a lack of systems analysis. It really, really is. And, and even Orange County, the cost that Orange County incurs because it's bordering County does without, if people really did a systems analysis would be staggering, would be staggering because of the collateral effects, because one system cannot exist with a flawed system right next to it.
whoa. I feel like the moment we start reaching into this issue of food insecurity, the floor sort of falls out from under us. But that's the nature of the problem. It's about poverty. It's about transportation infrastructure. It's about having the resources for people to get help on a bunch of levels in order for us to lift our community up. Since my conversation with Marty, I've been thinking a lot about his point that taking on so many problems in Sullivan County specifically, but also all over rural America, requires large-scale systematic changes. And without zooming out and asking how we can invent a healthier, more accessible, and equitable community, we're kind of just treading water. And I want to highlight that none of this is a progressive or a conservative issue. What Marty is talking about is rethinking how a rural community goes about handling the services and resources that are available to us. Doing that doesn't mean jacking up taxes on hardworking folks or disincentivizing people from getting jobs. It just means being more intentional with how our services are set up. It means asking ourselves if the problems we want to solve are the ones we're putting our energy into tackling. Have there been uh, any stories that you've heard in in all of this um, that made you think, yeah, this is why I'm doing this? So one that always comes to my mind in Sullivan County, all right, um, is about two months ago, there was a woman who lives with her mother in Monticello, um, a couple of blocks away from an agency that's, you know, that has food, all right? And the woman's mother was suffering from esophageal cancer and she was in pain 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And a woman needed uh, insurance because that's the only thing the mother could, could, could drink. So she couldn't get it from agencies. So I'm a part of SALT also, Sullivan Hell has leading together. And uh, so we blasted it and we were able, in, in, like literally in a matter of minutes, to get this, this woman enough insurance for her whole tenure of chemotherapy and radiation treatment. I'm sorry. And so when we delivered it, it was a very small abode for lack of a better term. And the daughter was there and everybody was masked up. And the daughter said, I just want you to see my mother. And, you know, she brought us to the door and the mother was just in constant pain. And we told the mother, we love you and we need you. So you got to eat, you got to drink. And as we were leaving, the daughter looked at us and she, you know, was very emotional because she wanted to hug us, but she couldn't, you know, and this, uh, the, the, the picture of this woman just dropping her arms to her side, you know, not being able to have that human touch, you know, told me more than anything, told me not, t- didn't tell me this is why I'm doing this. It's tell- it told me this is why I need to do this. You know, that I need that touch, that I'm the one really selfish. Because without that woman, I'm nothing. You know, without the people who allow me to serve them, I'm nothing. For folks who might be listening who um, either feel that, that they would love to get involved with helping folks who, who need food get access to it during the pandemic, or more mm-hmm. broadly, folks who 
um, you know, feel for lack of a better word, angry that, that Sullivan County doesn't have the resources that, that our neighbors do and want to do something about it. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend? What, what can folks do to help make a difference? Organized, you know, get together, you know, um, there's stuff happening in the County now to me, organizing is what matters It's getting together and saying, regardless of who I'm voting for, there are these basic needs in our community. And stuff is happening. If people want to find out, you know, give me a call, give me my phone number, you know, and we'll we'll point you in those directions. But if but if if it's going to be hateful, bring it somewhere else. If it's going to be forgetting that you know there is only one planet, and the planet doesn't define in you, you, you know us. You know we define the planet, and it's not any planet of color. It's a, it's a collective. You know. But if you're going to bring that stuff to the table who's ever listening, you know, I don't care if, you know, I do care if you hate me because I'm going to love you anyway, but, but bring it somewhere else because we don't have time for that. For folks looking for, you know, specific organizations that they can jump on board with and dedicate some time and energy to, are there organizations that people can, can start, you know, just showing up at at meetings to, if they want. What we really need right now with the Southern Fresh Community Public is so we have this core of volunteers now we need a couple of volunteer drivers so you know i had recently injured myself you know and and uh but we we didn't skip a beat but the older i get the more i want to you know what i mean um so uh uh so we can use a couple of volunteer drivers that that they would not go out alone you know they would not put themselves at risk you know we've been doing it long enough and have stayed healthy um and they can contact me and I'll give you my phone number right now, 845-596-0075, 596-0075. And um, if anybody wants to be involved with anything like that, give me a call, you know, um, and we'll navigate you to where, you know, the people that you love need you to be. Marty's work with Cornell Cooperative Extension and Sullivan agencies leading together is just part of the story. As he said, their community cupboard delivery system is an invention that was spurred on by the pandemic, even though the problem of food insecurity has always been there. I want to take a look at another organization that's tackling this issue, and they've been in the game for a couple of years now. But even their work these days looks a lot different than it did pre-pandemic. I'm Audrey Garrow. I'm the executive director of the not-for-profit A Single Bite. And I'm Sims Foster, co-founder of Foster Supply Hospitality, along with my wife, Kirsten, and also uh, co-founders of A Single Bite, the not-for-profit that Audrey is the executive director of. (laughs) We founded A Single Bite, Kirsten and I, actually four years ago with the premise that uh, at the time Sullivan County was uh, 61st out of 62 counties in New York State in the annual... uh, a health study, um, and that just seemed wrong for us, and it was embarrassing. And so we looked at the study and realized there was a lot of things we had no business trying to tackle or influence. But when we got to the 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 food insecurity part, but really back then it was the food, the unhealthy habits uh, of of our population. We thought maybe there's something we could do there. And so we, we partnered with Livingston Manor Central School uh, and formed a curriculum 
to to uh, go into the school and teach the kids with the, with the school about or talk to the kids about uh, the choice between real food and processed food, uh, which seemed at the core of a systemic problem, um, not just locally, but nationally, uh, that that there's confusion between uh, something that you can put in your mouth just qualifies as food, uh, and it's really not. And we many of us know this, but it's amazing how, how pervasive that uh, vacuum of knowledge is. So we, we went in and we did uh, two... We met the kids where they are. We we went and uh, and met them at the school in their classroom with the uh, food, nutrition, and I always screw it up. The curriculum is called Family and Career Science. Yeah. Yes. Ms. Reynolds, that's how I know it. <laughs> um, but we met with Mary Ellen Reynolds, and um, and it kind of seemed that it was of a value. So we went back the next year, and we kept developing it to two classroom segments. Uh, then we bring the kids to one of our restaurants have lunch and then we brought them to the city to a celebrity chef restaurant, one of our friends who would then talk to them. And because they were on TV and what, what they said, even though it was the same thing that we were saying matters a lot more, we're not afraid of utilizing low hanging fruit. So um, Audrey had joined us and, and was ramping us up to go from one school to all the schools in Sullivan County uh, in the 2020, 2021 year plus the, the, the fall. Um, but March came and that stopped, right? We couldn't go to schools. We didn't have access and the world um, was a different place. So we, we then, uh, because we couldn't do that. And because we also had hands with our hospitality and restaurant uh, teams, um, we realized people were suffering more than they usually were with food insecurity. And so we started uh, to make food and utilizing our connections with the schools, uh, which was incredibly valuable, but this time specifically around the uh, the ability to transport the food to the children and really to the families that were in need. The schools had the way to do that with the bus companies. So we became the production hub and utilized those systems to get the food uh, into the hands, which in rural America, like Sullivan County, uh, is is a major uh, factor that you know is specific to rural living, um, where urban uh, issues around food insecurity, the transportation is not not as big a deal. It's all about our food based mission at this point, and and with the the realization and the the capacity that we now have to actually feed not only the children who we were working really hard to expose to this concept of real food versus processed food and, and encouraging them to make better choices, we now have the opportunity, and, and I like to think of it as a privilege, of actually bringing food to um, entire families in their homes. And with that comes the opportunity to not only help them to address the deficit that they may be experiencing, not only in terms of just getting food uh, to the family and on the table, but um, more importantly, um, or as importantly, getting nutritional value uh, into the, the, the stomachs of these, of these young people and, and helping to alleviate what is sometimes uh, economic stress, what is other times um, 
just a, a time constraint that some of these adults have in, in trying to make sure that, that kids eat or that they could even sit down at the table together. We started out uh, the last week in March of last year um, distributing just 300 meals. We were feeding 300 people that first week, which is actually quite, quite astounding considering that the week before uh, we were ready to go out into the schools and, and introduce young people to this idea that something that isn't processed, that isn't in a bag or a box um, is actually better for them. So to take that mission and expand it to exposing and introducing people to, to food that they might not have ever experienced before in their homes is, is really been, been quite astounding. By the middle of last summer, we were feeding 2,500 people a week. And as Sims um, alluded to, there were volunteers involved, there were bus drivers involved, there were school superintendents, school nurses, guidance counselors, teachers, and um, it really took an army. It took an army of people with a lot of heart, a lot of caring, and also a lot of knowledge about who these people are in our community who are really and truly um, in need of our support. Since then, um, there have been some people that are back to work and they're economically, they're doing better. Um, there are still um, about a thousand people a week that we are feeding. And when I say feeding, it means we're basically sending them a complete meal that is um, in some cases lasting people for two meals. Um, it includes uh, lean protein, some cooked vegetables, some nice carbs, and um, some raw salad at this point. So really extending um, those messages that we were looking to teach kids in the classroom, which is the healthier you can eat, the better your life will be, um, and hopefully the goal being improving quality of life for people all over the county by helping them to be a little bit healthier and certainly for kids helping them to, to not be hungry to be quite honest. I'm glad that you just mentioned hunger because it, it seems like there's kind of two components of, of food insecurity, one of which being getting enough food and one of which being getting the right food. Which of those is more prevalent from your work that you're seeing in Sullivan County? I think the first thing that we're looking to do is make sure that people that literally cannot um, provide enough food have more than they had before we deliver to their household. So that's the first thing. Um, but as, as we learned um, when we started to think about teaching kids in the classroom about um, healthier options, um, there are economic factors, there are cultural factors, there are lots of reasons why people maybe would choose to eat one thing over another. And some of that actually has to do with some of the other programs that are out there, um, not to knock, um, you know, SNAP and WIC and some of these other programs that really do provide food for people um, who couldn't otherwise access it. But some of the choices that are available to them within the monetary restraints of those programs, you just can't buy. Sometimes you can't buy salad. And, and we hear from 
from families that they can't afford to buy maybe the meat that they would like to buy or the, the, the fruit. I mean, there are some things that are just more expensive. And so we're really trying to make sure that through donations and, and through uh, contributions of product from local farmers and, and others who have helped us along the way, that we're getting the best quality product out there to people, regardless of their ability or, or to, to cook it. Sometimes people just don't have the time or the, or the, the facility. Um, and, but more often what we're finding is they just can't afford it. You're listening to the Close to Home podcast with Leif Johansson from WJFF Radio Catskill. I would love to take a, a, a little bit of a, a deeper dive into why this issue is more unique to Sullivan County than our surrounding counties. Not to say that other counties in the Hudson Valley or you know further west of us don't have folks that are experiencing food insecurity, but it, it seems like the statistics are saying that it's consistently more of a problem in Sullivan County. Um, back in 2017, almost one in five kids in Sullivan County couldn't get access to the nutrition they needed. I suspect it, it could be worse as a result of the pandemic. Do you guys have, have thoughts as to why Sullivan County? You know, I grew up here and this is um, my home. It uh, will be my home till my dying day to be dramatic, but I'm pretty <laughs> certain that that's the case. Um, and, you know, that's part of why we feel so passionate um, and persistent about tackling this issue and other parts of it. And, and I, we're, we're very careful. Uh, we're, so we're trying to be very careful about staying focused uh, on doing what we're, I think, uniquely qualified to do, which is produce food and get it to the people um, and not not have mission creep, as they call it. But to answer your question is I, I don't think I don't think it's complicated to answer. We're, we're one of the poorest counties in the state. This is a poverty issue uh, in a rural setting. And those two combos uh, do make us as unique to. Uh, you know, more unique than pretend than our than our neighbors. Um, they're not as poor as we are. They're they're just more people with resources, um, people that can replace head gaskets when they blow on their car so that they can get to the grocery store, right? And and what we've seen, not to, we we we're always extremely. Uh, we try to be very private. Uh, this is a this is a, a loaded issue. Uh, it comes with a lot of other parts for people that are going through this um, and it's unique, but it's also the, you know, there are many through lines, um, but we're talking about generational poverty too. And so there is no doubt that the, the, the real answer to food security is the answer to many other social issues in our County, which is we must build a better County, a better economic base. We must, we must root out 
this generational poverty provide opportunities uh, for kids to be healthy and to learn better and to be better equipped with life. And um, we must, there's so many different issues here that, that come back to that root. So we do understand that we might spend the rest of our lives dealing with something that's symptomatic of the larger thing, but uh, we also are trying uh, to do our part to hopefully uh, fix the real problem, as we'd like to say. And, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's the answer. <laughs> I mean, people that have enough money and resources to transport themselves and get to the grocery store and, you know, you don't need to be rich, but to have enough money to, to feed your family, they don't, they don't not feed their family. We could add to that the, the, the larger, that transportation issue because of just the geography of where, where we are, that there are food pantries and there are um, other organizations out there that provide um, the raw material, if you will. Um, but what's unique about a single bite is that we are actually providing uh, a prepared meal. So obviously the work that a single bite is doing right now is critical to the health and, and, and safety of a lot of folks uh, in, in the Sullivan County community. So, you know, it's, it's obviously invaluable work, but delivering food at a time like this is also a temporary solution to the problem of uh, people not getting enough food or not getting the right food. So in terms of longer term solutions to the problem, I think you've both mentioned transportation at this point. Um, and obviously there's, you know, bringing in more jobs, bringing in higher paying jobs, um, which Sims, obviously you're, this is something that you're doing on, on the business side of things with, with foster supply hospitality. I would love to hear both of your thoughts on other things that need to get done to help tackle these problems, whether it's food insecurity or housing insecurity or any number of these other things that are related to just cold, hard poverty. Um, obviously, we have a bus route now that is going to a few different spots in the county, but not all over the county. So any thoughts you guys have on these kind of larger scale things that need to get tackled and, and how the county can go about tackling these things? Yeah. Uh Listen, if Sullivan Moves had been started 15 years ago and seen the kind of ridership that it's seeing in the limited capacity that it is now, likely we would be much further along in the transportation scenario. We can't go back in time, but there's a whole generation in this county that, uh, and I don't mean generation of people, I mean generation in a timeline that um, you know, didn't move things forward, didn't start those kind of programs. These things don't happen overnight, right? You can't, you can't sit back and then decide that in a short period of time, you're going to enact these programs. There's, there's momentum, there's thoughtful leadership, there's building blocks that build one upon the other, right? So yeah, we're, we're going to do our part to, you know, we're not going to be satisfied at a single bite until the food insecurity issue in our county is resolved. But we're, what does that mean? It means when we made that decision, 
you know, after 14 weeks during the pandemic, when we were reopening our, our hotels and we lost our, our workforce uh, for a single bite because then we need to go back to being, you know, the, that, you know, we didn't, we gave it some thought, not very long, so we, we can't unsee what we've seen. So it's this year, it's next year, it's, it, we're just going to keep going when we know it's going to take time. So that transportation issue is, you know, Sullivan moves is, you know, I just was in a conversation uh, at the county level where they're going to look to add some stuff to the western part, hopefully, of the county. And hopefully that proves that that works. And then we'll keep adding more and more and more. But the funds have to be there. Leadership has to be committed to it. Um, you know, the our, our, we have an industry in our county, and it's been the industry that our county thrived on any, at any point in the history that the county thrived, which is tourism. So I, you know, I, of course, am in that business. So yeah, duh. But, but even if I wasn't like that's, you know, one in five kids is food insecure and one in five jobs in our county is in, is in tourism related, direct tourism. Forget about the secondary, the main street owner that is, that is able to survive because of tourism and so we need to support, you know, fish where there's fish. Let's go find other industries, but that's going to take years or decades. How do we fuel the fire that we have? Um, and so we need, we need people to understand that and, and, and start to fund around the parts that, that give us the foundation for all those different pieces. So while I don't have the exact answer to your question, Leif, about, you know, the tactical part, because I'm not a transportation expert, right? But Phil Vallone is, and Phil knows how to figure that out. And, and, and I will say we have, we have a mindset in this county right now um, on the ground. Um, I, I won't speak politically. I'll stay silent to that. But I have on the ground that there is, there is momentum that's happening from the private sector that is, uh, unlike anything I've seen in, in my lifetime here. And, and this is our opportunity and we need to grab it and keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and I think never forget that, um, you know, the more Range Rovers we see on main street is a good thing as long as we understand and tell them that they're in a very poor County. And if they're part of our community, they need to be part of solving the, the issues for the least of us. How can folks support a single bites mission if if they'd like to? Well, first of all, understanding uh, that a single bite exists and making sure that if there's someone out there who is in need of um, support, that they get in touch with us. And the best way to do that is through our website, a singlebite.org, or just by calling us 845-482-1030. Um, obviously, we are, as a not-for-profit, reliant on contributions from individuals, from businesses. Um, we do enjoy um, some small grants. And um, more information about how to support us is also available on the website or by calling. Um, we rely on volunteers. So um, if there are people that are interested and have a little bit of extra time and they want to spend with us, um, that helps us to get the job done. And um, there are also um, some young people who are uh, who have been exposed to a single bite who are continuing that legacy, and we're really grateful for that. So it's not just adults that need to be engaged. It's really the youth of Sullivan County who we're trying to reach. 
And so um, among your listeners, uh, if there's anyone out there who wants to learn more about a single bite, get in touch. Um, we're here to help. We're not going anywhere. And um, we're really honored to be able to, to serve the community in the way that we, we have been able to. So we've now heard from these two organizations that are both delivering food to those in need throughout the duration of the pandemic. And both Marty and Sims and Audrey make it clear that their work doesn't start and end with the pandemic. As we heard, the A Single Bite team has been educating kids about healthy eating for several years, which goes way beyond treading water. It, it gets at one of the roots of the food insecurity issue in our community, which is a lack of knowledge about what to do with fresh food. I spoke to someone else who has more than a few thoughts about that. You know, it's it's really easy to buy even like a 99 cent box of pasta and, mm. you know, a 69 cent bunch of kale mm. and some garlic. And, you know, you've created like a, you can create a big dinner for a family of four and it's so much more nutritious. That's Kathy Viscup the director of the Catskills Food Hub in Liberty, New York. At the Food Hub, we're looking a few steps back in the supply chain. So rather than thinking specifically about how to get a hot meal to people in need, the Food Hub basically says, wait a second, we're surrounded by these small farms that are producing fresh vegetables and fruit and meat. We need to create a more centralized system so that local people can get in on that. So the idea is that farmers bring their produce to the Food Hub, and the team over there handles the logistics of getting it to local people and businesses that have a demand for produce. So we are, it's funny, we, we, the models changed drastically. It used to, it, it was the first, when it first launched, it was created to um, supply the wholesale industry first, it, meaning uh, local restaurants, um, schools, grocery stores, um, you know, the hospitals, that was, that was like the thought. And, and, and when it was finally launched, it was, it was not that far in when COVID hit. And then when COVID hit the model changed because there was a, a huge, um, outpour of, of inquiries for retail. Can you deliver to us? We don't feel safe going into this store. So the model changed. And, and, and at that point to, um, of course, re, you know, wholesale shut down, restaurants weren't, weren't opened and, and, and all of that. So what it, do you, it, what do you mean when you say, when, when you talk about retail, people not feeling comfortable going into stores, mm -hmm. like individuals and their households wanted deliveries of food to them? Yeah, they did. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No one, you know, last year, nobody wanted to go to the grocery store. Um, right. And, you know, so what happened is the, the market really shifted to a retail base and the wholesale, we, we still have wholesale accounts, but the, the market has really shifted to retail. And, and, and so when I say that, it means people 
found that <laughs> even though they feel safer going out and shopping now, they still like what we do. And they like being able to shop on the, um, the Catskills Food Hub marketplace because it's like going to a local farmer's market. And in fact, if you go to a local farmer's market in Liberty or Calicoon or in Wurtsboro, you'll see the same producers and farmers listing their, the same exact stuff on our marketplace. So it becomes a habit for people. You know, they, they, they shop every week with us. So is it, when you say marketplace, is it an online marketplace or is it actually at the food hub? No, we are a digital online e-grocery marketplace. It's catskillsfoodhub.localfoodmarketplace.com is is how you would get to the website. We have expanded our market, so we have these satellite drop-off locations that we partner with. And and that's another part of our community building uh, part of our, um, our mission. So I'm I'm curious if if the food hub is is working on on anything to not only expand uh, the marketplace to, for our local producers, but also to to take down barriers that would impede people of fewer means getting access to that food. You know, it, this is a tough one because nobody wants to ask or say that they need, right? Yeah. Um and and so how do you how do you help people? What I try to do is because I mean honestly our our marketplace is uh fits a higher price market uh, or customer base, right? But we do accept EBT um an electronic um debit card for it's electronic food stamps. I, I actually wish that they would stop using the term food stamps. Mm. There's no stamp. <laughs> it's, it's an electronic debit card. And I just, the stigmatizing like thoughts behind it's a, you know, food stamps. Um, it, it's just really frustrating to me, but so we, ex- we accept them. What I do is when, when someone calls to ask, where they email, I usually pick up the phone and call them if they email me. And I say, yes, we do accept it. And you know what? I'm going to give you a promo code. That's a really good discount because I want you to be able to have access to this food. And so I give them a really good um, deep cut discount just so they can, they can buy and shop. And the other thing that we try to do is when we have excess um, produce or milk or, you know, anything we have, like I, I will call um, and ask around who, who needs this to go in into their kitchens to create meals or who's doing, um, you know, boxes of food to go out. So we, we always try to do that, but I always, you know, there, you know, at some point, you know, I, I, I would love to be able to do something where we just make things available and we take it to the, to certain schools in low income areas. And we say here, these are all here for you to take, 
you know, and it doesn't, you don't need to say, are you needy? Do you need this? But it's just accessible to everyone. And then, you know, you don't have people feeling bad about asking. It's just available. If there was some sort of uh, program that was in place at the local, say, public schools, is that something that you would be, as an organization, willing to jump in and partner with? Yeah, absolutely. So the barrier right now yeah. is that th- there's just no structure in place to make that happen. Yeah, there's not a lot of structure. Um I mean, right now it's it's sort of a weird time anyway, because, you know, we don't know if we're in school or not. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, my kids, my kids go to a school in Brooklyn, believe it or not. Hmm. And um, what, what, it, what they, what they've done is they've put together this very same thing, like packages of food. And it's just there. And so it's like, we have all of this stuff here. When you come by to pick up your kids, you're welcome to pick up a bag or, or your child can pick it up and bring it home with them. Hmm. And so it's not about if you need this and if you're hungry, like those words are cut out of the conversation or the, it's more about, you know, it's here and it's available to you. And I think that sort of, um, that'll help a lot. And I think that needs to happen here. Um, Cause I can't imagine. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the public schools, especially like in Liberty, I, you know, would probably benefit. Is there anything else maybe beyond the scope of the food hub um, that you think needs to be done in the Catskills in addition to local businesses that have fresh produce partnering, partnering up with schools, things that can be done to, to make sure that everyone has access to the proper nutrition to, to lead a healthy lifestyle. People have to learn how to use food properly. Hmm. And, you know, my, my, honestly, my background is I'm a, I'm a chef. Hmm. And so I, I, I have a great deal of knowledge of food and how to cook and how to utilize, you know, everything. But I've realized that a lot of people don't. And the poorer you are, the more you gravitate towards really super processed, cheap food, because you don't have um, the knowledge to just make very simple, wholesome meals. So teaching people how to cook, I think, would benefit a lot of areas instead of just, you know, loading bags of free free. Uh, you know, canned goods up and I loading them up with some really easy recipes. Yeah. And so in your belief, what, what, what you're saying is that folks who don't have great financial means don't have to rely on processed food as, as in you're saying that they can't afford fresher food and there's, there's a lack of knowledge of, of what to do with it to create wholesome, inexpensive meals. Yeah. Hmm. I think so. Yeah. You know, you don't have to use gourmet products um, to eat well. So would your rule generally be the fewer ingredients uh, in in a given item, the better? 
Well, it's the fewer ingredients, but it's also ingredients that you know what they are. Right. When when they have long words that came out of a you know a science fiction movie, <laughs> like you, you know, I don't think you should really be eating that. Before we hop off, um, I would love to hear from your chef background a quick uh, spoken word recipe on an under ten dollar meal that you like to cook. And under, oh, you know what I love making? Well, spaghetti, Mm -hmm. a can, a 28 ounce can of uh, whole plum tomatoes, a can of tuna fish, garlic, onions. You don't even have to use olive oil. And if you have a bay leaf, you can throw a bay leaf in it. If you have some fennel seed, you can throw some of that in it and you cook it. You can, and you can serve it over your pasta. If you have some olives in your refrigerator, green or black, you can chop some of those up and throw it in it. And it's a, it's, that was a real dorm meal. <laughs> Man, you had a better dorm than I did. Oh my gosh. I you wouldn't <laughs> believe the things we would cook in our dorms. <laughs> nice. Well, I can't say for sure that it's actually under $10, but maybe if you have a box of pasta and a can of tuna lying around the house, you're good to go. That said, if you make that recipe and it's not to your liking, I'm putting the full blame on Kathy. If you love it, I'll take a tiny bit of the credit just for producing the episode. I think that one of the takeaways from these conversations for me is that when it comes to big socioeconomic problems like food insecurity, there is just no silver bullet. But that's not an excuse for us not to act. I think that it might actually be kind of empowering because there are dozens of ways to go about solving such an issue. We can teach kids in schools, we can improve access to local produce, create community food pickup and drop-off points for excess produce, and we can take the long view and work out the broader structural issues in how our community's services are organized. Either way, it is our duty as members within our different communities to think critically about this stuff and to find avenues within our personal skill sets to get involved and make some headway on solving the issues we're passionate about. That's our show for this week. Thank you to Marty Colavito, Sims Foster, Audrey Garrow, and Kathy Viscup for joining us. And thank you for listening. This is Close to Home with Leif Johansson from WJFF. Radio Catskill. See you next week.